0: dedicated to Henry Farman. In the year of the primal force, from the dawn of terrestrial birth, man mastered the mammoth and port, man was the lord of the earth. He made him an hollow skin from the heart of an holy tree. He compassed the earth therein, but the man was the lord of the sea. He controlled the vigorous steam, he harnessed the lightning for fire. The teams, the from another town, another place, another girl, another face, another truce, another race. I'm eating junk, feeling bad, another night I'm going mad, my woman's leaving, I feel sad. But I just love the life I lead, another beer is what I need, another gig my ears bleed, we are the road crew. We are the road crew, my friends. Well, we are not the road crew. Welcome to episode 46 of Agitators Anonymous. Wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice to just do a normal thing? Just go to a gig? Just have a night out? Just go and see a band? Just play a gig? Yeah, just like you are probably feeling mentally exhausted with this situation, um... I am too. I am two times however many. This is all beginning to wear very, very thin. Like I said, just to do a normal thing once would be quite nice. And here we are in episode 46. I'm Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous. What are we going to talk about today? I'm going to talk about a few things um, firstly, that over on my YouTube channel, I've started posting more video cast interviews. The one with Nick Barker from last week went down pretty well. A lot of people interested in Nick's really quite amazing story. Um, from being a wee Chesterfield hooligan to playing on two of the biggest second wave black metal albums of all time. Yep, indeed. Go and check it out on my YouTube channel. Just, I don't know, just search Alan Averill and you'll find me. Um, I'm doing this other thing, Call from the Grave, which is a sort of retrospective career look at certain old bands. I just did Coroner. I think I've got Dark Angel, Voivod, Creator, that kind of thing coming up. So I'll direct you to that while it still exists. So what are we going to talk about? What are we going to talk about? Well, this is going to be a bit of a ramble, but I'm going to try and make it a little bit more concise than maybe some of the other rambles. I'm going to try and discuss... Uh, rioting, try and explain nuance in relationship to rioting, if that is such a thing. Second up, I'm going to talk about a word we're starting to hear a little bit more of these days, and that's feudalism. Um, I'm going to explain what I mean by that, and how um, certain elements of what's happening now can be viewed through a lens of the new feudalism. You've probably heard people explain that, so I'm going to take a little bit of a look at that and how that relates to um, big tech, small government, and who's really in charge, that kind of thing. Um, but first of all, I would point you point you to my first sponsor, and that's Hate Couture. Um, yep, Hate Couture is hateful yet tasteful. Apparel, clothing, all sorts of grim and nasty merch, the veneration of serial killers and tyrants, the kind of thing that's going to get you covetous looks when you're ever let out to strut your stuff again in public. Um, www.hatecouture616.com hatecouture616.com and if you use the promo code Alan you will get free shipping and there's all sorts of cool stuff there. Zip-up hoodies, etc, etc. So, like I said, wouldn't it be nice to just do a normal thing for once? It's pretty hard, pretty taxing on the brain. Check out the big brain on Brad. Anyway, so um, like I said, I know I probably speak for a lot of you. You've been sending me a lot of messages, DMs, thanking me for talking about some of these things that I'm doing. So Um, apparently it fills something of a void in relation to podcasts. An awful lot of podcasts about mental health and that kind of thing are out there. But seems to be few by musicians and few by musicians who sort of wade into the murky waters of politics and culture or try and tell um, a few home truths about what may or may not be happening added with a nice big slice of madness for dessert well i thank you all um and i'm glad so many of you love my uh, stupid accents and apparently some of you just listen who don't really understand what i talk about at all but just like the irish accent um, I get more than a few messages from um, curious countries in the Caribbean and the Middle East uh, just saying that I uh, they like the fact I sound like Dylan Moran. Well, I thank you also for your patronage. And I hope I don't disappoint with this week's grammar and lesson in madness. All right. So I'm going to get into what I think shortly about some things. But um, like I said, wouldn't it be a nice to be able to actually have some fun... Something very strange has now happened to society where we feel we now have to ask permission from the state to more or less do anything, to hug a relative, to go on a date, to fill in a blank, whatever your blank may be. But we're in this very strange, it feels almost demoralized state where we feel that we have to ask the state for permission to do absolutely everything. Now, uh, you've heard me banging the drum about this stuff on the podcast before, and some of you are no doubt tired of it, but I ain't gonna stop banging the drum for all these kind of things. Um, Like I said before, um, me banging the drum and you being able to dance to it is one of the oldest expressions of humanity. And a part of me does indeed believe that that is under threat. Certainly there ain't no drum circle and dancing with abandon in a distanced world. Let that sink in. But I have been wondering about this quite a lot before I get into some stuff about riots and feudalism. And that is that, somehow we're all expected to be political right now. There doesn't seem to be any way to escape it. And I often think to myself, is this exactly why I started playing music, started playing in a band? Definitely not. The fact is that heavy metal, I suppose, was the apolitical cousin to punk rock. Um, It was the musical movement that I think fundamentally was more working class in many respects than punk rock. But I think it was more about... The blueprint was a form of escapism. But yet here we are after a year in lockdown, and I am a heavy metal musician, singer in a heavy metal band. Here we are a year in lockdown where I feel very much that there's not that many... I don't have that many avenues to run down to escape talking about politics sometimes. And I'm aware of the fact that it can be wearisome and drag people down and it drags. It's difficult for all of us at the moment. We're mentally exhausted in the time frame that we're living in. But I feel like I don't really have a choice but to address something. Some of you like it, some of you don't. Um, The fact is, though, that after 46 episodes, would I have had 46 episodes of just chipper tour stories and positivity and silly sex, drugs and rock and roll stories to fill 46 episodes and not allowed my opinions and my feelings about what's happening creep into the narrative. I don't really think so. I don't think I could have created a podcast and ignored it. So on those terms, I'm sure there are people who think to themselves, stay in your lane. What are you talking about? Why are you addressing this, that and the other? This is just the nature of where we are right now. My intention is never really to um, politicize things that I say here very much, really. I feel it's more about observation. It's about it's hypothesis. It's trying to create and provide some sort of nuance. It's trying to maybe shine a light on another side of an argument. Because I feel that we're so polarized generally often that a lot of people don't really shine a light on that gray area in the middle where I think most things reside. Like I said, when I mean 100% of something, what I mean is, for example, in an idealistic way that we can for sure say with utmost authority that every one of those people was a deplorable or whatever way you want to call it. It's not really true. Human nature is far more complicated and nuanced than that. And am I making a mistake by doing a podcast every week where I splurge and divulge and spill my guts, um, commit a sort of Harry Kiri every week and then magically reform here in the dungeon and then I'm allowed to do the same thing again and spill my guts all across um, your grey matter. Spill my guts into your ears. I don't know. I don't know if this is the best way to deal with any of these things. But it is what it is. And so on those terms, I don't think I'm really given much of a choice but to really discuss some of the things that I'm discussing. As the reality is, what exactly else is going on for me? I can't say, hey, you know, last week we played in such and such and I experienced this and I went to see this and um, let me tell you about this thing that happened... I can only say, let me tell you about this thing that happened five years ago or two years ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 25 years ago. But this is not just a case of me designing a podcast to tell you about the past. Um, It's not my autobiography, I suppose. I still had hoped that there were extra chapters to write. Anyway, what am I talking about? Who knows? Let's get into this. Let's try and provide a little bit of nuance And yes, I sit in the middle of all this trying to provide some form of nuance and look at it from a few different angles, as always. Is that wise in the grand scheme of things? Probably not. But we're going to do it anyway. What am I talking about? Okay. You've heard me talk about all those kind of things before. So let's just sidestep all that kind of thing. I'll get around to it again um, at some stage. I'm doing a YouTube video about where the music industry is. And I suppose it has a sideways references about, um, well, societal, uh, social society and how that might be changing or might be altered in the future. Um, So there will be a few Irish references in this podcast. Freud said that the Irish were beyond psychoanalysis, actually. So maybe I can uh, lift the rock and poke around at some of the insects, scuttling off into the dirt and see what we find. Um, So we had a protest march or a mini riot, I suppose, some would call it. Um, No doubt most of you have seen, well, I mean, some of you have seen it. Um, at least quite a few people from outside of Ireland who've messaged me asking my opinion about it, which is one of the reasons why I'm talking about it. Now, you may remember, I think there was a podcast I did last August where I discussed some of the same things I'm about to discuss now on a previous podcast, and my opinions are largely the same, only we've had six months more of fatigue, um, you know, and internment between now and then, but... Um, Most of you or some of you have seen the footage of um, a guy firing a firework at the guards at pretty close quarters. The guards are what we call our police. Um, A pretty heinous and disgusting act, no doubt about it. It's quite strange to witness. And I will say that off the top. But what I'm going to try and examine is, or at least discuss, is some of the layers um, below this. And try and apply some nuance and understanding again. Uh, something I think that is in really short supply in modern society, um, and try and put some perspective on an event like this in an Irish context. Because an awful lot of people from abroad have asked me to do so and try and explain it. Because very often, this is kind of pub talk, some of it will be. And very often, the nature of this pub talk often leaves people with scratching their head and raising their eyebrows. First things first, if you're listening to this podcast in Stockholm or Helsinki or Madrid, Madrid, Madrid or most places, I'm not sure if you have the same phenomenon um, concerning uh, the working class and then. And even then, that's not really correct to say, the working class. I'm not sure how to describe it. How can we crystallise it? If you've grown up in Dublin, Belfast, Glasgow, Birmingham or Cardiff, you'll know exactly what I mean before I'm about to say it. I'm talking about Neds. Um, in Scotland, this is non-educated delinquents, Chavs. In Dublin, we would simply called them, growing up, scumbags. Uh, these were the lads in tracksuits, who body, all right, that would, you know, try and fucking batter you um fight you in the street whatever um it, scumbags was you know i'm sure there was maybe fleckies trekkies trackies whatever um many words for them um and i have to kind of tread carefully through this but yet at the same time i'm not sure how to try and explain this nuance to people outside of ireland but the people to be afraid of mugging you in dublin mostly came from dublin and they all came from generally a certain few postcodes. Um, It's hard explaining in a hypersensitive society, uh, not that I subscribe my uh, soul to that, but it is, as they say, my lived experience. And let's be clear, one of the groups of society you can probably denigrate and put down without much risk of um, opprobrium is the white working class, as that's what they are. Um, Or even, could we call them the Unworking class might be a smarter way of describing it. Let's try and get into it. Vast sections of Irish society, um, or Dublin society, fell through the They fell through the gaps of education. um, Never migrated. You have to understand that um, over the course of the 20th century, millions of Irish people emigrated. Um, They hemorrhaged. We are. We, you know, people say the brightest and the best hemorrhaged society. They left to go to the Australia, um, the America or the UK or many different places. And even in the 1960s, um, I imagine even the building I'm living in and speaking to you from right now in Dublin was a tenement building. Um, The levels of poverty in Ireland, even up to the 1950s and 60s, were staggering. And I would contend up to the early 90s. Um, I think there's some statistics somewhere that Ireland experienced less economic growth in the 20th century than most countries behind the Iron Curtain with the exception of maybe Albania and a few others. But it's very hard to explain that there was a massive section of Irish society who fell through the gaps, the gaps of education. Um, They were in areas that were riven through with heroin in the 1980s, forgotten by society, but not necessarily forgotten by the welfare state. Um, Even until maybe 10 or 15 years ago maybe 20 years ago Ireland had one of the most generous welfare states in the whole of the EU um, which is why we got an awful lot of let's call it welfare tourism Um, but that's a topic for another podcast so you had generations of people who literally just lived on the welfare and this was enough for them to live and you know not aspire to work or whatever that whatever way you look at it because they didn't necessarily need to were you gonna were you gonna work for 275 Pounds a week when the state was giving you 240 but you were to accept 40 hours of shoveling shit whatever you want to say about um, the uh, I- inspiration of the welfare state and how it um, inspires or doesn't inspire people to try and look for work or to try and better themselves, that's another conversation but certainly um, there was a huge section of Dublin and Irish society uh, who I will give something of a... I'm not going to say a free pass, but at least a level of understanding as to where society left them. Um, poorly educated on most terms. and Like I said, driven through with drug problems and massive unemployment. But when you organise a protest in Ireland, these are the people that show up um, and they're looking for a fight. Um, we had a parade in Dublin called Love Ulster a few years ago, i.e. a Protestant parade. Uh, naively created to be honest to try and foster a feeling of let's call it sectarian cross-border partnership on the island and that day the main street was just ripped up running battles with the police Um, and there's a section of Dublin society who just show up for the rock you know several years ago Snoop Dogg and Swedish House Mafia played here in Dublin in in the middle of the city centre in the park and anecdotally people said that early on Uh, The gates were stormed, so to speak, by people just overrunning them. And in the end, I think conservative estimates were one person was stabbed to death. At least 10 other recorded stabbings. Three people died from overdoses. Speaking to people who were at the gig, I think there was more people stabbed than that who weren't willing to be uh, to press charges or go to the police or maybe they had drugs on them or whatever. Uh, Not the point. And, and more fatalities the next day in Glasgow. Are you beginning to get the picture of the kind of thing that happens in Dublin? And I don't remember anyone really saying we have to ban dance music. We have to ban hip-hop. We have to ban outdoor gigs. Although I'm sure there were a few people saying that. But certainly on Irish TV on Thursday, a minister went on TV saying that maybe they need to consider banning protests. I don't know about you, but that... Sets a dangerous precedent of authoritarianism, if you ask me. In the summer of 1994, the drummer of Primordial was stabbed with a syringe full of blood, um, held up outside Slayer, or down the street from the Slayer show for divine intervention, I think, um, and injected with blood and told he'd got AIDS. Um, That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. It's not really even a commentary on the working class, it's a commentary of something else. Um, I think that um, if you've grown up in a big city and even in a small town in the United Kingdom, Ireland, Northern Ireland, whatever, Great Britain, Wales, Scotland, blah, 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 whoever way you want to mash them all together, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, And it's like a sort of it it reaches even beyond the class discussion. Um, Growing up, as I said before, many times street fights were common. Hard to ex- it's hard to explain to people. But like I said, if you're coming from a listening to me from a leafy suburb of Stockholm, you probably have no clue what I'm talking about. Perhaps if, from, if you're from Eastern Europe, you'll recognize um, hard areas of towns, hard areas of cities where there are football hooligan groups. It's a little bit like that, only slightly less organized, I suppose. Um it's very hard to describe, but there's a there's a section of our society who are totally removed from your vision of the post-Celtic Tiger best boys in the EU class of Ireland, and they still exist. And when there's a protest, they come into they come into the city um, and they're looking for a fight. They're looking for a ruck. Their numbers are swelled by the homeless who are just milling around the city during the pandemic. Um, I've mentioned that before. The other day, I sort of put out in a semi-emotional post, which is not really my thing, to be honest with you. But I watched um, outside a theatre in the city centre called the Gaiety Theatre, which has been there, I think, since 1871. I watched six homeless guys fighting over a bottle of cider, I think, um, in the rain, just standing there, locking my bike up. And they live underneath the canopy in the theatre. And the theatre doesn't just look... Um, the theatre doesn't just look... Closed. It looks abandoned. It looks derelict now. We're getting to the stage where empty buildings now are starting to look like they're falling apart. After a year of, well, whatever this is, um. So i trying to set this. I trying. I'm trying to set the, um, set things up here for try for explaining with nuance, why some of the descriptions of what happens in Ireland don't necessarily hit the mark, um. We had the usual sort of mainstream stories, uh, opinion pieces connecting people marching and protesting to Trump. I mean, come on, already, really still flogging that horse, um, trying to collect it to one article even just saying, hey, wasn't Hillary Clinton right in calling everybody deplorables because here they are in the streets of Dublin. Really, that's such a ridiculous stretch. And you might want to look at who the... Clinton Foundation funds, but however that's a different conversation but again, trying to tie everything still in with Trumpism, um, just doesn't make any sense for this of course there are some dumb signs, there's bound to be some dumb signs, right? Some silly 5G QAnon nonsense and some various other sort of things, but that's the nature of more or less any protest these days Those kind of people show up, but to say they are the main body politic um, is like saying that every football fan was a football hooligan. We all know that to not be true. It doesn't score you as many points with your tribe. It doesn't allow you to virtue signal the same way, but what it does allow you to do is to put across your political ideal without A, being challenged, or B, without any nuance where most of this resides. Like I said, the nearest I can compare to them is maybe to be maybe something like working class football hooligans in other countries, um, but that's not really even close. And like I said, they're the one area, the one grouping in society that you can pretty much probably say whatever you want, and nobody's going to be too bothered with how you describe them. Which is it? Which is sad in its own way. But um, and I don't subscribe to using words really, you know, like na, ned, or chav, or anything like this, um, because I think there's a whole lot of reasons why you have to understand that that element of society has been, has collapsed or has been pushed to the periphery um, and doesn't have much of a voice. And many of those people were the same kind of people who showed up also at the weekend. So when people will start ask, messaging me, asking me about the far-right protest in Ireland and the violence, I, again, I have to try and explain this to them. The violence is mostly perpetrated by elements of the above, But I'll try and wade through the mess of explaining that and the mass of contradictions that seem hard for um, people abroad to understand. Nationalism in Ireland is left-wing. Republicanism, support for um, Republican groups. Sinn Féin, for example, who are the political um, wing, I suppose, of old Republican groups. um, And these all come from the same political party. um, The, I think it's the IRB, the Irish Republican Brotherhood. Um, in the early 1910s as somebody's probably going to butcher me in the comments for that. But mo- all our political parties except for Labour um, the Labour Party um, who are very small at the moment but they all come from the origins of the same party state. Um, and their origins are of course anti-colonial, anti-empirical um, I mean even we have this thing called the the lockout which was one of the first forms of unionisation of workers which supposedly inspired elements of the Bolsheviks and so our nationalism is on the left. Um, It has Marxist origins, Um, you know, if you see people in Celtic t-shirts i.e. the football club or Celtic Frost, Celtic Frost, this is a sign, I suppose, of um, well, you might just like football, fair enough I support Celtic, so you know, on some fundamental level but um, this is a sign of Catholicism a form of Irish nationalism on some level so place that in context um, of ha- trying to understand what's happening here. Yet the people in evidence among the ranks of both sides fighting over this protest um, would seem to be on the face of it if you were, you know, let's say someone foreign just looking over a balcony at what's going on. They would appear to be variations of a theme of some of the same people because you have people on the far left on one side calling the other people Nazis, Um as is just I mean this is just the normal sort of psychodrama that goes on but the people they're calling this often have some of the same sort of nationalist perspectives on things but as I said nationalism is left wing I'm getting my you know is your brain broken already well but aside from the way that the state has treated people here over the last year um within my opinion contempt I'm just announcing nine more weeks to a tabloid um you know, nine more weeks of whatever this is to casually to a tabloid. No real, you know, exit strategy, whatever else. I, I, yeah, I've addressed all these things in other podcasts. But the concept is that people are allowed to gather and protest. This is their inalienable right. And I don't think maybe some people listening realize that in Ireland we are living under a five kilometer radius we are not supposed to leave a five-kilometer radius of wherever you live, but to me, it just seems pretty clear that you, they just want you to stay put and not go to the airport, which is beyond the five-kilometer radius, and not go here and there and etc. Um, it's not something that's happening mostly in the rest of Europe, and I don't think most Irish people really understand that it isn't. However, the right to protest and gather is is something that um, we as a society are. it's an an inalienable right. And it seems that, um, it seems to me that any protest organized by, well, let's just say it like it is right now. It's that any protest organized by white people is pretty much going to be called right or alt-right for the most part. If we take as an example the Yellow Vest protests in France, in our media here, and most media across Europe, it was called right-wing. Now, I don't know about you, I tried to look into it, investigate into it, and I found the motivations so diffuse and complicated that I didn't really understand exactly what they were. They seemed to be many different kinds of people who even amongst them seemed diametrically opposed um, who were protesting. But to say it was just one thing, again, just seemed to be incorrect. And that's kind of how things are framed for the most part in the media now. So let's say, for example, in Ireland, if furlough stopped tomorrow, if they stopped paying people, um, I think you'd see many, many farmers. There was a farmers protest in the city about two or three years ago. Um, If you stopped furlough, I think you would see farmers coming out onto the streets to hold up the city centre. Now, would people say that that is an alt-right protest? Are farmers alt-right? I don't think so. I think it's just a very simple way to frame rather complicated problems in order to get clicks. And to be fair about it, we see sometimes the same thing coming from the other side as well. We see media outlets on the right calling um, protests from the left as terrorists, as this, as that, as the other, when, again, many of the people there have very different aims and reasons for being there. I mean, this is human nature. There are lots of different kinds of people and they have different reasons. Some people, as I said, are just there for the rock. Some people have... Political objectives. So to say everyone is the same within any of these contexts is just, it's just a nonsense. But it's too complicated for a headline. And it's really strange that we've come in Ireland to fetishize violence at protests in other countries. Um, articles were recently written in the Irish Times about why we don't protest. Um, there were some cutesy examples, one of a, a defiant French woman with her umbrella standing up to the to the police over there and it was sort of wondering why it is that we as a nation don't protest now to people outside of Ireland this may seem strange because they have this idea of the the rebel Irish the, um, the fighting Irish all this kind of thing and I personally have always felt that that's something we lean into with a few drinks but fundamentally um, it's not something we necessarily do I think Irish people have well not all Irish people I think it's a, it's a hangover it's a post-colonial hangover um, uh, which has been born through extreme poverty and extreme hardship. Um, Oppression by the Catholic Church on the one hand has bred um, a sort of existential fear into people um, of the structures of authority uh, without a doubt. Um, I'm not saying that if you're sitting there at home listening to me as an Irish person you say, I don't feel like that. These are sort of um, ephemeral Considerations, sort of existential considerations. Maybe they're ingrained in us from years and years of this extreme poverty, um, the Catholic model of obedience through poverty, um, and what shocking poverty it was. So there's a very unhealthy tendency, I think, traditionally in our society to doff the cap to our society, yes or no, sir, to have a quite parochial, insular looking vision of society that still has this, as I said before in podcasts, this blind, spate, blind faith blind spot in relation to our relationship to authority and so it's stopped us questioning some of the things that have happening happened this last year. In fact, it's almost been a perfect storm of relative obedience um, and I think the, the government must be um, I think they must be marvelling at how well people have taken like ducks to water to um, the strictest form of lockdown for the longest time in the whole of the Eurozone. But here we are. Um, so we've had this habit lately of fetishizing violence at protests in other countries. And then when we kind of do it, we feel a bit dirty about it. As it's sort of not what we wanted to see, but kind of, we've, like I said, we fetishize it a bit in other countries and what they did. We looked at the yellow vests and somehow it seemed a little bit more noble And I think it's partly because of the scenario described above. Um, You sort of know the folk involved in the violence are less likely to be idealists that you can identify with than lads who've spent all day getting pissed up on cheap cider and gone into town to cause a rook. And so therefore, I suppose it feels that bit more ignoble or that easier... To um, dismiss and I, I I, do understand it I kind of understand the nuance on all sides I have friends who are sympathetic to um, the principles of the protest i.e. about you know small businesses being forced to close all this kind of thing um, there are elements of that within of course the the mission statement of the protest and that, that many people feel um, sovereignty with but yet at the same time they just don't want to come out on the streets and stand beside guys you know in screaming and shouting after being out on the piss all day and just looking to break shit up and fight this is just Ireland and as I said if you're from Leeds or um, Manchester or Glasgow or I don't know Aberdeen you probably know exactly what I mean so there you kind of have a kind of potted explanation of um, what quite a lot of people have asked me over the last week like I said it's kind of all things and no things at the same time it's completely predictable if you're from Ireland to know that that would happen and exactly who the people are going to arrive who are going to cause it and it's perfectly predictable to know what the people on the other side are going to shout at them and they're going to shout back and the whole thing is um, a complete uh, chaotic mess like I said that if you were standing on a balcony above um, and I was you know, let's say you were from, pick a place for you to be from, uh, Uruguay, Montevideo, um, or Santiago in Chile, or I don't know, even Seville, or something like this, and you're standing here going, what the fuck is going on? I would have to go, well, see, them over there are, um, they're kind of nationalists who are different to the other side, the nationalists on the other side, right, but they're wearing, some of them are wearing the same football t-shirt, yeah, that's true, but that's a different, variation of a different uh, your brain would break because it's complicated because it's nuanced because it's both um, high farce and high treason at the same time when I was discussing the Capitol Hill um, break-in the Capitol Hill buggery of democracy Um, in that it's all completely the essence of 2020 or 2021 It feels like you're being trolled. It feels like um, various elements are called out on the street by people who just wish to try and troll each other. Trying to get to the root of what's actually happening is almost impossible. So I don't know if that explains much to you. Does it? I really don't know. Um, Just to say, take some of the headlines with a pinch of salt that the media throws at you. Because the kind of right, kind of wrong, as with everything these days. Um, if you haven't watched, as I've been banging the drum for the Adam Curtis documentary, Hypernormalization, you kind of should. it explains, even if Ireland seems like um, a chaotic microcosm of the same principle, the idea that nothing is necessarily as it seems, um, I think, pervades uh, every protest, every riot, every gathering. Now, like I said, you have... 80-year-old grandmothers with signs there rolling in behind people dressed as um, as ninjas. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, that's my potted explanation of trying to discuss something many of you have asked me about. Um, which leads me to my second ad read, that a good segue i'm not sure it really was was it um which is from metalblade.com i mean if you want to go there and order the new cannibal corpse or um if you're from north america you want to order the new cannibal corpse you want to order some old trouble albums you want to order some old slayer albums all these kind of things go there and reference aa podcast and you'll get 10 percent off i mean the wealth of um the incredible back catalog is astounding just go and have a look and if you want to do it and you're in North America, throw the dice. Take a look. You could even buy the new Dread Sovereign or some of the old Primordial albums. Anyway, so so I also want to discuss or segue. Well, my segue was that there was riots in India. And why was there riots in India? Well, it's very complicated because I'm going to try and get into um, some deep water here about the concept of feudalism. Um, As I understand it, Bill Gates is the biggest um, landowner now in farmland owner in the US. And there's been an attempt to sort of modify the um, Indian farming system to update it, to regulate it, to correlate data through um, mobile phones given to the farmers, all sorts of things. And you've probably seen there are huge riots happening amongst farmers in India. You've probably heard the name Monsanto being mentioned, um, GM modified crops. It's to do with seed collecting. It's to do with copyright upon farming techniques, methods, um, seeds. That's about the best way I can explain it. You're going to have to do some digging into who uh, funds and runs it, that kind of thing. And you have to ask yourself, what is at the heart of that? How does it relate to where we are now in lockdown? Does it relate to the Great Reset? Does it relate to... Um, these huge big tech platforms that literally now are let's be honest um, they are bigger than government and so I wanted to try and discuss for the second half of this the idea um, that you've probably heard being thrown around in society or well you know on your YouTube channels and now that is the idea that um, the this moment in time is being used to enforce a new feudalism on society now what was feudalism I suppose feudalism is the you know if you if you know more than me you can poke me in the comments and tell me I got the dates wrong but I suppose this is the old um, the old way European society was formed in it, which was um, you had a very uh, ignorant poor public uh, citizenry um, who were little more than serfs I suppose and then you had the monarchy you had the laity you had um, kings, queens, bishops whatever, influential people people who were born born to a few of the ruling societies or ruling um, families back in the day whether they were the Habsburgs or all of these kind of people so there was a very small um, ruling class within European society who were not voted for Uh, there was no democracy they were an unelected elite of a small group of people, and the idea, I suppose, in connecting that word to what's happening now. Now, so I suppose the first movement against the aristocracy—that's who they were. the First movement against the aristocracy, I suppose, in European terms was, and the most famous is the French Revolution in 1789, which ended in 1799, and this was, um, but this was the first moment where. Um, the people rose up against this unelected group of elite. And from that moment, I suppose, until the start of the Industrial Revolution, these are the most pivotal moments in trying to understand how the people began to take their rights back from this unelected elite. So I'll be your robes, Pierre, to your Marie Antoinette. The birth, oddly enough, the birth of um, the Industrial Revolution sort of put paid to the idea of there being a feudalist society because the introduction of um, industry allowed uh, the citizens of this system to uh, have upward mobility financially, technologically, to become wealthy in their own right. Um, And this is what you would see in the writings of, um, I suppose, reflected in Marx and Hegel and stuff like this, who are talking about the struggle of the working class to throw off the oppression of this structure, which is what also I suppose you could define this upward mobility became capitalism. But what people are discussing now is the idea that big tech um, is now bigger than government. They're deciding the rules. Um, These huge multinationals, huge corporations have been for 40 years shrinking the state until now there is no pushback. They're more or less telling us what to do. If you connect the dots, I suppose, to the people who are the movers and shakers at Davos, the World Economic Forum, all these kind of things, um, all these corporations, they have reframed themselves as good actors, um, as good agents. Uh, you will see agents of the environment, agents of climate change. Um, and they're using this, I suppose, in an element to, or at least it seems to me, if we consider these terms, to restructure society. And so that's the moment, it would appear to me, you could analyse that we are in, um, where political citizenship um, has surrendered to the power of the marketplace. If you look at the crash that happened in 08, and you look at the people um, that the Occupy movement was against fundamentally are the same corporations that you now see they're sponsoring uh, the environment they're they're funding the floats you um, see Chase Manhattan and all these kind of names connected to all of the main identi- political identity movements they've reframed the conversation and what that reframing would seem to me to have meant um, is that They realize that, how can I say this? I suppose what they've cynically realized is that um, working class concerns are not really sexy, (laughs) let's say. And working class people don't really have a voice in the public marketplace of ideas, which is being online. And so therefore you can kind of ignore them in a sense. Um, Why would you want to listen to the working class when they aren't online, when they don't have a voice, when they don't shape modern society. So, in a sense, that's why I think uh, many modern, I suppose, political parties of the left have um, abandoned their working-class roots. Now, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, Alan, don't we have democratic systems to vote these people in and out? And I would say, yeah, we do. But I would say to that that doesn't it seem for the last year that democracy has been paused and that many of these decisions that are being made over our heads are being made by an unelected group of people, an unelected elite, it would certainly seem that way. In this moment we're living now, where, let's be honest, democracy is paused, civil liberty is suspended, um, it seems to me that these elements are moving in to fill the gap in that the um, the platforms have now decided that they have your best interest at heart. They decide what you can and can't hear, who should be banned and who shouldn't be, but also more insidiously, um, who can and cannot make a living based on those terms. Especially if you consider the future of work is going to be online, remote living, automation, all that kind of thing, then they hold, of course, the um, the power of your control over your paycheck fundamentally. One day you're deleted, one day you're canceled, you're cast out from the public square. Now, I have this argument constantly with people who tell me, well, they're private businesses, they can do what they want. And I think, well, it's okay for you to say that until I think fundamentally they come for you also. But what if um, in the city you live, um, a private company bought up every park and they just said, no, people with red hair can't come into the park today. Um, and so you have nowhere to walk your dog, you have nowhere to walk the park. Would you go, well, they're a private company, they can, kind of, they can exclude you from the park if they want to well think of the park as um, the marketplace of communication the marketplace of ideas i suppose the medieval town square um, which would have had its tower overlooking at and you can be excluded from that um, marketplace of ideas at hyde park corner i guess speakers corner you won't have that the metaphor of the corner to be able to stand and speak to people but the concept that this may be linked to your ability to earn, to earn food for your children, um, I think is far more insidious and far more dangerous. Um, and what it does is it implements a form of sort of neo feudalism. The abandonment of the of the of the people's let's you know on these let's consider my train of thought mental health is reflected within that lack of concern for normal people's concerns. Um, And that's why I suppose these corporations have identified that they, you know, we need to jettison these sort of working class concerns, as capital doesn't really care about class, shall we say. Identity politics is kind of perfect for these modern corporations to adopt because it doesn't really require that much work for them. What do they really have to change? They can appear to be virtuous and be correct. Um... They can appear to be good or rational actors with your best interests at at heart. And at the same time, um, I suppose, prevaricate our society into tearing strips off each other, Um, which is exactly what happened last week, which leads me to this, I suppose, this video, this tweet that the World Economic Forum posted. I don't know if any of you saw it. It was deleted. And um, it was a sort of a video about how beautiful it was to see all these quiet cities Um, It was a tweet that basically said lockdowns are quietly improving cities around the world. Um, Scientists saw a wave of quiet, falls in air pollution, clearing city skies, carbon emissions were down 7 percent, all this kind of thing. Again, it caused a massive pushback from people and they deleted the small video. They deleted the, the, the tweet, but it shows the disconnect. Um, Because these were the same people who no doubt a few years ago were showing you videos of vibrant multicultural marketplaces in London um, or, I don't know, Istanbul or Agadir or Marrakesh. And they would have have been full of gushing support for all those kind of things. They are now telling you, look how beautiful your city is when it's quiet, when in actuality you're inside, you're demoralized, you're depressed. You're dealing with not being able to see your loved ones. You're dealing with having no social society, no theater, no comedy, no gigs. You're in your five kilometer radius. You can't travel. Your small business is going to the edge. You're about to lose it. You haven't seen maybe your grandmother who has been in a care home for a year. Um, All of these things. um, And there they are telling you, oh, isn't your city kind of beautiful when it's quiet? and it's all being forged through this eco environmental angle no i'm of course i'm not um, i'm not a person who denies that that's a conversation absolutely not of course it's a conversation but when it's at least to me being used as a sort of stick and carrot situation that it's being used to guilt people into accepting um, this form of um, I think part of the it's part of the conversation. You know, there's a there is um, of course there's a, a biological uh, pandemic. Um, there's also a societal pandemic, which I think is being ignored for the large part. The effects on society. Um, there's health and safety. There's all these things, but there's also I think this um, this growing guilt that's being used against people, and that will come in the form I, as I said of this um altruistic, altruistic empathetic uh, marriage of a form of identity politics, but also with environmental eco-concerns. And I mean, it may sound crazy, and I hope I am crazy, but a part of me wonders if an element of lockdown doesn't roll into it becoming an eco-lockdown and people are going to have carbon credit percentages um, connected to their biometric health passport, which will tell you you have used up too much of this and too much of that. It's already language that's being used in elements of government. Now, whether it's going to be used on the public or not, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, like I said to you many times before, having been going mad for almost a year, um, you've got to cut me some slack in the fact that I've. this is episode 46 of me uh, speaking in a room. On my own to myself, so no doubt I've gone a little bit mad. But I do observe these things, and I do think this idea of this, the idea that the new feudalism sort of states that the Amazons and the Facebooks and um, the Bill Gates and all these kind of people—they're now greater than government—and in fact, um, they're an unelected group of people who are informing government, nay, even telling them what to do, and they're towing some kind of line to those concerns. Um, whether it's going to be uh, the restructuring of farmland, the restructuring of um, your ambitions, of your small businesses, of your, let's be honest, your, your culture, your, um, your language, your, your, your story, your personal story, which took you to this point. And I've, like I said, I'm making a video about this on YouTube, but the idea that if we keep distancing rules within society, for example, just a simple observation, um, then yeah, you won't have cinemas. You won't have comedy. Sellers heaving with people laughing. You won't dance with a stranger ever again. There's no nightclubs. There's no small gigs. There's no rock and roll. Um, there's no yoga class in the morning for your mom. There's no photography club for your dad. Um, there's none of these things because you're distanced, you're staying inside, and you're compliant. Now, that may sound like, come on, Alan, that's a kind of dystopian fog that you're wading through and you're not seeing clearly, you know what, you might also be right, but yet at the same time it's a simple thing, imagine uh, without that health and safety tick on your event you don't get to do it, so sorry for you sorry sorry, Jeff, there ain't no book um, reading for you, there ain't no art exhibition can't you do it online, can't you just move it online, well That's another story for another podcast. And I know it's pretty grim, um, but maybe go over to my YouTube page, endlessly plug um, this, I suppose, uh, because I'm making a discussion in relation to this on the music industry. But like I said, um, it's not clear. Nothing is clear. Like I said, this this hyper-normal world that we live in where you're never quite sure of what's happening. But the feudalistic state is one where an unelected group at the top make the decisions for the rest. And let's be honest, if you're going to be living on universal basic income um, with no upward mobility because your, um, uh, let's say, your legacy, your, the legacy systems which used to employ you are now obsolete. You will, you have your money to live, but not enough to rise above that, which is, in a sense, a form of new feudalism um, in the sense that you are eviscerating the middle class. And the middle class are one of the, you know, great phenomenons of the late 20th century, especially in the post-communist post, post um, communist era, after the fall of the Berlin Wall, I would argue that a new wave of emergent middle class swept across Europe in the early 90s. Um, that, uh, aside from the Balkan Wars, there's this you know rather grim blip on the development it, it it moved it certainly moved a country like ireland out of uh, second world poverty and gave birth to this new middle class and they're the same middle class that i mentioned who would quite like to go out maybe in quietly protest but have decided against it um, because they don't really they're not really sure what this all looks like hey i'm with you i understand but this in the 1990s, I think Europe gave birth to this emergent middle class. And now something like what I'm talking about um, sort of seeks to destroy it, sort of seeks to reclaim your property rights, maybe. It sort of seeks to, um, as I said, remove these old legacy systems or these small businesses, these medium-sized businesses, these methods of earning. Um. And so, well... The reason I started talking about that was basically because I got to see that um, World Economic Forum tweet and then it was taken down. a little, small little video telling me how great my city was because it was quiet. Um, and I contrasted that with, this, with the image of six homeless people beating the shit out of each other outside um, the gaiety theater underneath the canopy where they live. Uh, where many homeless people live in the city of an abandoned theatre that had been there for um, 70 years I'm not saying it's closed, closed but certainly it's abandoned right now Um, and that was the contrast of those two images that I'm being you're you're being told um, isn't it great you get to stay inside and uh, have you know, live in your social bubble of seeing one or two people have no sex life don't date Um, don't dance no music living in your Talibanic state Um, but hey carbon emissions have gone down apparently well according to this small video they have Um, I don't know how that was happening in Dublin but certainly I stood in the rain and watched six homeless people beat the shit out of each other for a bottle of cider so Um, I don't think that video would have gone down too well, tagged on to the end of that tweet. But it was removed because of um, public opinion. But what it does is it shows you the disconnect, I think, between the objectives of this um, new feudalistic society and um, where you may be. Um, Certainly, if you're living in the countryside right now, you're having a better time of it than anybody living in the city. I can say that with assurance Well, did that make anything clear? Probably not. Probably just made things more confusing um, and got me into some trouble. I don't know. Um, I'm just like you, trying to sense make, trying to understand and trying to not go mad. Um, Anyway, third ad read is for Um, They're an RPG, role-playing game, um, company who make these high-end, super incredible-looking books, um, really, really amazing uh, stuff. If you're listening on the podcast, maybe go over to the YouTube. I post a few pictures of them on the in the YouTube video if you want to take a look at them. Order three and they'll send you two for free. Just put in the pod or the promo code A A A A. Even someone like me, who's a you know an old cynic, but does remember at 12 years old playing Dungeons and Dragons, listening to "Blow Your Speakers," uh, Manowar. That wasn't great, was it? Well, we used to sit and listen to Fighting the World by Man of War in 1987 and play Dungeons & Dragons, so screw you. I was just wondering, why should have been an extra in a 1980s version of Stranger Things? Well, anyway. Unless I have a time machine, that moment has passed, my friends. Okay, my friends. Episode 46 is a bit of a brain-fried ramble. Um... Again, you can go to www.patreon.com slash Alan Sometimes I post other podcasts, book discussions, demos, songs, random other things. If you want to go over there and um, have a look around, no problem. Um, and thanks for your continuing support and patronage on this strange journey we are in together. Um, the numbers just keep growing. Um, you know, hundreds of new subscribers constantly Um, good numbers posted on all of the platforms so I thank you my friends episode 46 straight out of my crazy brain Um, stay healthy stay sane Um, metal never bends